classes. I would encourage the rest of you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 or your silenced electronic devices to Philippians chapter 1. We'd rather not hear them reading to us this morning. And let me pray for us before we start. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity for us to Turn our hearts to you and to listen, Father God, to what you have to say to us, your church, today. Open our ears that we might hear, open our hearts to receive. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've entitled the message this morning, Joy in the Advance of the Gospel. We'll be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. As we all know, followers of Christ are not exempt from the problems and trials that all the people of this world have to face. We're not exempt, are we? We also face rejection and persecution at times for living out our faith in the midst of a hostile world. Jesus himself warned of this telling his disciples, quote, because you are not of this world, therefore the world hates you. John 15, 19. He didn't sugarcoat that. He goes on in verse 20 to say, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Oh, joy. (laughs) And then in John 16, 13, he makes this magnificent promise. In the world, you will have tribulation. Isn't that a wonderful promise from our Lord? So trials and tribulations are promised to those who endeavor to live for Christ. To those who endeavor to not only live for Christ, but to tell others the gospel of Christ. But God can use even the most difficult of trials and circumstances for our good and for His glory. Amen? The Apostle Paul had experienced this many times, including at Philippi, and now at the time of writing this letter to the Philippians. One of the purposes in Paul writing this letter was to explain to the church his current situation and to let them know that even in the midst of trials and tribulations, we can entrust ourselves to our loving Heavenly Father and take great joy in how He uses us to bring glory to Himself. We should take joy in that. Now, there's no doubt that Paul experienced pain, sorrow, and tears. He suffered grief and disappointment, and he was very burdened for the spiritual health of the church. Yet there never seems to be a time when he allowed his circumstances to diminish his joy in Christ 
and the continuing advance of the gospel. And we will see this as we read what Paul has to write to the church regarding his circumstances. We will see that Paul was joyful in spite of his troubles and in spite of the opposition. He was joyful due to the advance of the gospel and the proclamation of Christ. In this fourth sermon to the letter to the Philippians, we will be looking at chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. If you're able, I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 1, 12. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that... I rejoice. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. Last Sunday, we saw how Paul passionately prayed for the Philippians, showing his love for them and his fervent desire that they would abound in agape love, that they would abound in knowledge and discernment, so that they might live pure and blameless lives filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. Paul now turns to update them on his circumstances, some of which they already know. They know that Paul is in custody in Rome under house arrest for false charges that were brought against him three years prior by his Jewish opponents in Jerusalem. They know that he is chained to a Roman soldier every hour of every day, confined to living quarters for which he has to pay the expenses. They know that he is awaiting trial before the emperor, the outcome of which is unknown. It could result in his release. It could result in his further imprisonment or even in his execution. What they did not yet know was how all of this trouble was affecting him. And they must have been concerned because they loved him. Paul wants to let them know how he is doing. And more importantly, he wants them and us to learn from his example as to how to suffer with joy for Jesus' sake. They need to see in Paul, their spiritual father in the faith, how to handle the pain of trouble 
in a way that brings glory to our Lord and joy to our own hearts. He wants them to know that he was joyful in spite of trouble and in spite of opposition so long as the gospel was advancing and the name of Christ was being proclaimed. So the Apostle Paul was joyful in spite of trouble. Prior to his arrest in Jerusalem, Paul had been proclaiming the gospel as a missionary and church planter for over 10 years throughout the eastern regions of the Roman Empire. Remember, he had been commissioned by Jesus himself to be Christ's apostle to the Gentiles. And the Lord had used him to bring many to Christ, to plant many churches, and to teach and disciple believers for the work of the ministry. Paul had been a man of action, a powerful evangelist, pastor, teacher, and discipler. He had written to the church in Rome several years earlier that he longed to come to them. He wrote these words, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. That had been Paul's desire. That God would allow him to come to Rome and to make a spiritual impact on that city for Christ. Well, Paul had indeed come to Rome, but not in the way he had expected. But instead of lamenting, resenting, or complaining about his hardships, Paul acknowledges them as serving to advance the gospel which was the very task that God had called Paul to. And by the way, is the task that God calls all of us, his followers, to. In Paul's eyes, these hardships he would willingly endure if God would use them to further the gospel, if God would use them to impact others for the glory of Christ. Paul had come to understand and embrace the same truth that Joseph had expressed towards his brothers when he stated, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Paul knew that he was exactly where he needed to be to accomplish God's divine plan. And so Paul reports to the Philippians that as a result of his imprisonment, the gospel is advancing on two fronts. On the first front, Paul himself is taking advantage of the opportunity that his chains provide to speak about Christ to the Roman military members assigned to guard him. The result being, according to Paul that the whole imperial guard or praetorian guard, depending on your translation, as well as many others, had learned that Paul's imprisonment was for Christ. 
No doubt. Paul had told them all about Jesus. A savior sent by God who was executed by the Romans, but who rose again on the third day and ascended back into heaven. He would have told them that Jesus offers forgiveness from sin and eternal life to all who call upon him for salvation. Remember, these Roman soldiers were with him as he prayed, as he ministered to other Christians who were able to visit him, as he read scripture, and as he wrote letters. They would have seen and heard and known that there was something very different about this prisoner, and the word would have spread. The word would have spread about his joy, his faith, his love, and his trust in his Savior. Who knows how many of his guards came to faith in Jesus? Now, from all outward appearances, the months and years of Roman custody, remember, first in Judea and now in Rome, may have appeared to be a setback for Paul's plan to carry the gospel to places where Jesus' name had not yet been heard. But in fact, this is exactly what had been accomplished. God, in his sovereignty in his wisdom, had opened a door for the gospel into the very soldiers and their families who surrounded those in power over the Roman Empire. This praetorian guard, these were the hand-picked soldiers, 10,000 soldiers who guarded the emperor and his family and the rulers in Rome. And now, one by one, They are hearing the gospel. So Paul is actually rejoicing in the opportunity that's been given to him by God. Paul had been set free from a preoccupation with his own security, comfort, and pleasure. Which if we're going to be honest, describes most human beings. Most human beings are preoccupied with their own security, comfort, and pleasure. That's what most people seek after. Not Paul. He had been delivered by Christ through the gospel. And that's what he wanted for every human being. So he devoted his life to sharing the gospel with others. It was Paul who wrote, quote, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the non-Jews. Paul understood And taught that we are all sinners. And we would be forever separated from God due to our sin. But God had sent his own son Jesus into this world. To live a perfectly sinless life for us. 
and then to lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sins, dying upon a Roman cross, but rising again from the dead on the third day and commissioning his followers to go and preach this gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. To preach it, to proclaim it, to share it, to declare it to all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, all nations. That is the commission that all of Christ's followers have been given. Paul had experienced this saving grace, having been born from above, having been filled with the Spirit of God, and having been given the opportunity to go and proclaim the gospel to others. And that is what he was devoting his life to do. So regardless of his circumstances, he was devoted to the work of the gospel and took great joy in seeing it advancing among the Roman military. He also rejoiced that it was advancing on a second front. His imprisonment, His dedication to the work of the gospel and his joy, even in difficult circumstances, inspired other believers in Rome to go and proclaim the gospel without fear of their own imprisonment. This is counterintuitive, isn't it? You know he's in prison for preaching the gospel. And so you would think, oh, I don't want to do that because then I might end up in prison. But instead... Because of his joy, because of his commitment, because of how God is using him there, other believers are saying, that's not so bad. If that happens to me, so be it. I want to be like him. Paul's captivity is setting other Christians free from fear and causing them to risk their own lives for the message of Christ. In verse 14, The apostle heaps up words to stress the courage that his conduct has evoked in others. He states that they, having become confident, and then that they are much more bold, and then that they are without fear. Paul here is rejoicing that God has used him to help encourage and embolden others to boldly proclaim the gospel without fear of what man might do to them. And of course, Paul writes this to the Philippians because he wanted them to follow this example. He wants them to be witnesses for Christ, no matter the danger, no matter the cost. And he would want the same for us, for me and for you. For all who have come to know Christ as our Savior and Lord. He would want us to be bold in sharing the gospel and seeing it advance in our community as it did in Rome. And this would be cause for rejoicing. Amen? Not only was Paul joyful in spite of trouble, but he was joyful in spite of opposition. Here, Paul surprises us once again. 
Look at verse 15 with me. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul surprises us by showing us the depths of his commitment to see Christ proclaimed. He reveals that some of those who have been emboldened by him are preaching Christ not out of love for him, but out of envy and rivalry, wanting to inflict pain upon Paul. Now, let's make it clear here. He's talking about Christians. That's very clear in this text. But you know what? Christians don't always have the right motives for doing what they do. Because, guess what? We're still sinners. We still struggle with our own flesh, don't we? Should we examine our motives? Absolutely. Some are preaching Christ to exalt themselves. Imagine that. They see themselves as Paul's rivals, wanting to surpass him in fame and glory. And now, while he's in chains, this is their opportunity to make a name for themselves, to surpass him as the most important Christian leader in Rome. They're jealous of his reputation and fame. So they endeavor to pass him up while they have the chance. They will endeavor to lead more men, women, boys, and girls to Christ than he has. They will endeavor to build larger churches than he has. They will strive to acquire more followers than he has. Any of that sound familiar in our day? They see themselves as rivals to the Apostle Paul. But Paul does not see this as some sort of competition to win. Instead, remember, he sees himself as a slave of Christ Jesus, just as he stated in the opening verse of this letter. Ministry was not about him. It was not about his title. It was not about his position, his fame, or his fortune. It was all about Christ. It was all about pointing people to Christ. It was all about Christ being glorified, not Paul. This is why he could rejoice at their efforts to preach Christ even if their motives were wrong. In verse 18 he states, whether in pretense or in truth, 
Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Now note this. Paul could celebrate his opposition's success only under one condition. That they were truly preaching Christ and accurately proclaiming the gospel of grace. The fidelity of the preacher's message to the truth of the gospel makes all the difference to Paul. And we know this because over and over again in his letters, he warns against any deviation from the true gospel. He's quite emphatic. In fact, let me read to you a portion in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Verses 6 through 9. Listen to what Paul writes regarding those who are teaching a false gospel and those who are listening to it. He writes these words. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him be damned by God. I think that Paul believes it's important to get the gospel right. And he is concerned about any who name the name of Christ who listen to a false gospel, who give place to false gospel teachers. He wrote these words to protect the church from those who would distort the gospel of grace. And the most common way this was done was by adding a component of works righteousness to the gospel. By adding our need to do certain good works to complete the requirements for our salvation. And this false gospel is still very much alive in our day. Many Christian leaders and whole denominations teach that we must add our good works to the work of Christ in order to secure our salvation. And as Paul stated, let them be accursed for teaching that anything needs to be added to the completed work of Christ. Jesus said, it is finished. He completed the work was needed for our salvation. We need add nothing to what he has accomplished for us. Jesus, the very Son of God, humbled himself and became a human being. Born in Bethlehem, as we are preparing to celebrate. And he lived a perfect life of obedience to God the Father. A life that we could not live. 
He then, out of love for the Father and for all of us, chosen for salvation, laid down his life, dying in our place and suffering the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven all of our sins and so that we could be credited with his perfect righteousness. Let me tell you this. Nothing more is needed for our salvation except for us to call upon him in faith to forgive us and to give us eternal life in him. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Paul was committed to proclaiming the true gospel of grace And he was committed to condemning anyone else who did not. But in this case, speaking of what was happening in Rome, he clearly states that Christ was being proclaimed by his opponents, and in that he rejoices. Look at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. No matter the motive of the person proclaiming it, even those who want to build a kingdom for themselves, those who want to build a name for themselves, those who are seeking the fame and fortune, If they're preaching the gospel of Christ and they're proclaiming Christ, Paul says, I take joy in it. You know why? Because God's word does not return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which he set it forth. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And we should rejoice. Paul did not care about who got the credit. He just wanted to see souls saved for Christ. So Paul was joyful in all circumstances. And I'm going to challenge us. The same should be true for us today. We should pray for and rejoice in all of those who are faithfully preaching Christ and proclaiming the gospel of grace. We should pray for them. I covet your prayers. Pray for them and rejoice. We ourselves should be motivated to do the same. As we've sung today, we should be looking for opportunities, even now during Advent and during Christmas, to share Christ with others, to be Christ's witnesses to share the reason for the hope that is within us to share the hope of Christ who is the reason for the season amen and we also need to learn from Paul's example not to allow any circumstances any troubles any trials or tribulations to steal our joy in Christ 
We can trust that God is in control of our circumstances and he will work all things out together for our good and for his glory. Amen? Even when we can't see how, we like Paul need to see everything from a divine perspective. This is not wishful thinking. But this is a deep conviction in the promises of our Heavenly Father, in His love for us, in His mercy and grace. It is a deep conviction that God has worked out His divine intentions through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus... And by His Spirit, He is now carrying out those divine intentions in us. We are His chosen adopted children. And we can trust our loving Heavenly Father to do what is absolutely best for us. And what is absolutely best for us is to do that which glorifies Him. Amen? Paul had learned this lesson. And so should we. So that we can follow his admonition that we will find later in this very letter. Philippians 4.4. Paul admonishes us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. And I pray that that is true in your life. That no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, you can rejoice in the Lord. We have fabulous examples in Scripture, don't we? Of this very thing. And I pray that God will encourage you today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to be reminded of your servant Paul And just briefly reminded of his circumstances when he states clearly that he is rejoicing. His circumstances would not be considered ideal by most. And yet, he was exactly where you needed him to be. Father, we don't know from Scripture how many of those Roman soldiers came to know Christ. But if even one did, and one because of him, and one because of him, and one because of him, thousands, tens of thousands may have come to know Christ as a result of your servant being a faithful witness. And one day we will see those thousands in glory together with you. Father, I pray that you would help us to be your faithful witnesses, to devote ourselves to telling others about Jesus, our Savior, and our Lord, and the salvation that is available through him and through him alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Heavenly Father, use us to deliver that message to anyone that you bring into our lives.
that they too might have that opportunity to pray a prayer of faith in your son. We give you glory. We give you thanks for the opportunities that you give to us. Bless us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. We have the news of a coming king and a kingdom that he will bring with him when he returns. It's a message that brings joy to people's hearts to know that there is salvation found in the name of Jesus Christ. Joy to the world. Let's sing that song. It's Christmas.